0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, or welcome if it's your first time. I'm your host, Troy Hammond, and on today's episode, we're chatting with Penny Barton. Penny is the CEO, two months into her job, the new CEO of Crimson Global Academy, which is a product basically building digital high schools globally. Really interesting. I'm keen to chat to Penny. I've been a massive fan of Penny's for many, many years. She's been in the PNC industry, and now that she's a CEO, I'm really curious to find out how she's finding it how she grew into that, why she grew into that. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. So let's get cracking.
1: Kia ora. Thanks for tuning in to the We Fucking Love Style podcast, brought to you by Talent Army.
0: You think back to the times that we used to ring our parents and their you know, company lines and they'd yeah. be like, Mum, I don't know what to eat. <laughs> and she'd be like, make some two-minute noodles or something. I'm like, holy shit, how did we get away with that as yeah. kids? But- did you do that did you bring your parents
1: oh it's definitely i kind of look back at it now and then also the behaviors that hunter has yeah he'll just rock into a meeting he'll say hi to everyone on the meeting he'll just start asking questions i have to mute a lot of the time because it does get inappropriate sometimes just whatever is top of mind yeah uh, unfiltered and you're like okay let's just mute that again
0: i love that I love yeah. how do you feel do you feel the pressure or the satisfaction of being a ceo you know like with your kids they're going to look at you and think, "Holy fucking cool! How cool is my mum?" Like, do you do you feel that?
1: Yeah, I do um, actually. Because it was Mother's Day over the uh, over the weekend on Sunday, and Hunter wrote this card, or his you know his babysitter helped him write this card, and it was just descriptions of of his mother. And one of them is like, "She likes blank," and his was, "She likes working." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: like, okay, well, he's definitely sort of observant of that. And then sort of below, you know. Uh, what's she really good at, buying me things from her working. So I'm like, okay, he's sort of getting this association, like working hard, that provides for him. Like if he's making that association at four, I feel pretty good about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, nice. So, yeah, yeah I, I think my kids are the same. My yeah. kids like get it a lot more now when yeah. they're older, they're 14 and 11. But at the time they're like, I see dad on a camera a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is great, not great, you know. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is, and I feel proud that my kids see the person that I am, and yeah. the, you know, the values that they that Hunter's going to get from you is yeah. is cool. Yeah, do you still have the burger place.
1: I do. I have. Uh, so we have two burger places now. Uh, soon to be a third one.
0: Shout them out. What are they?
1: Uh, so that's Burger Geek. It's the one brand for that. And we've got one in Eden Terrace. We've got one in Grey Lynn, and soon to be one in Highbury over on awesome.
0: the shore. So. D- Dan used to often take me to Burger <laughs> Peak. Yeah, because we had an office, our talent army office used to be around the corner from, I'm terrible with it, um, in the old Flux Federation oh, yeah. building. Yeah. yeah. And we often ate there, had burgers. Yep. Always good service too, actually. There was a young guy that worked there. It was really cool.
1: I wonder if that was my husband. who's oh, was sort of always there potentially. Um. Yeah, he's always he's always on site. Like he's very much on the tools, even though we've got two and soon to be three sites. Like he hovers between all of them, working.
0: So, mm, awesome. Yeah. So you weren't always a CEO yeah. and burger kind of, um, <laughs> empire builder. Yeah. So like, let's go back a little bit, Penny. Whew. Like where where did sort of business start for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, as a child. So we're going well back in time now. There was always some kind of side hustle adventure i remember you know making crafts at home to take to school to sell like going home and being like "Mum, can you make me a bunch of sherbet because sherbet is in demand at school and i need to bundle it up and sell it as a, as a child wow that's <laughs> in, amazing in primary school um and sort of running you know running markets wherever there was sort of demand <laughs> demand i would just try and fill this gap um and then studied what well, i was studying i was working multiple jobs uh, so always had this. I need to be doing multiple things um, at one time, and then you know, going into the HR field, sort of a little bit adjacent to that. I could see this opportunity in um, HR as a whole, and obviously the terminology has evolved. Uh, yeah, we, since call it, then. we call it the PX down for yeah, the cool PX, people, PX right? yeah. people in culture. Yeah. I've got some thoughts on, on renaming again, but um, went into the HR field and started out my career in government. What, which,
0: what, what drew you to HR?
1: Yeah. I had, um, actually I have this sort of experience that's burned into my mind. When I was about 15 or 16, I had a friend of mine worked at a cinema and and she was late for a shift. Um, Instead of having a conversation with her, her sort of team lead or something at the time, instead of having a conversation with her, I remember her getting pulled in to this very serious HR meeting. There was a letter, there was bring a support person, it was, you know, what steps are you going to take to prevent this in the future? I went along as her support person um, and I was just sitting in this meeting going, how can this be how business operates? Mm. Couldn't someone have just had a direct conversation, given the feedback in the moment, why do we have these steps and this paperwork and just this bureaucracy around these tiny little things? And if you have this in an organization for these things, i.e. someone being five minutes late, the kind of snowball effect from an efficiency point of view, I remember thinking at the time, this is mind boggling. Mm. Um, so wanted to essentially go into that field because it just felt like very archaic. To fix
0: it? Is that what you wanted to yeah.
1: do? Yeah. It was very archaic. It was very old school. I just wanted people to just talk to each other, yeah. right? Be open, have conversations.
0: Let's share a sherbet.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. By the way, right? I've got
0: some sherbet. <laughs> $2. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so I've always had that sort of, this is a industry that was rife for disruption. Um, and it felt like one of the kind of lagging departments or functions in an organisation. Um, so that was where I kind of honed in on that's where you I want to go.
0: So we never, we've never worked together in yeah. companies, even though we've sort of been really close, like Venn and Zero yep. and a few places, right? But I have always heard lots about you. And if I was to describe the atypical... <laughs> HR people and culture person yeah you're probably not someone I would describe no. And so like and I loved that right like yep. for for people listening what I'm trying to insinuate here is you were honest you were raw you were yep. funky in terms of like trying things yep. you describe yourself as a bit of a magpie always chasing technology right yep. and I sort of saw that and so yeah. and for me it was refreshing you know because HR does have a bit of a vanilla, boring approach of people that just sit there and follow the rules and, you know, don't really offer much in terms of culture, even though they call themselves people in culture? Yeah. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, definitely. I always, even now when I think about the people in cultural profession, and it's changing so much, which is amazing, but I always felt quite separate to that, quite at odds. I would go to conferences, I would meet people, i'm I'm just I'm kind of over here doing these different things seems to be working in my organizations, but everyone is doing these big you know strategic plans over two years, and they're running you know they want to implement a system and it's a two year plan and they're running that and I'm like, why don't we just do it tomorrow and see where we go um and it always felt quite at odds to the industry as a whole um I think the industry has evolved quite a lot now and definitely yeah. moving in that direction, but felt quite uh Restrictive. separate from that, yeah, yeah,
0: and so. So you started in government.
1: Yep, yeah. Ministry of uh, Ministry of Health. Oh wow. um, yeah, yeah. Working for the director of mental health, which was a fantastic training ground. Um, that was working, um, not actually in the people space, but as as close as I could get at that point. It's really hard, was hard at that point, still is today to get kind of an HR grad type role. Um, so I took an office management role for the director of mental health, who was. Getting close to retirement age, and so he's like, "Do all the people stuff. Do all my budgets. Like, mm. I don't have anything to. I don't need this experience. Um, to do all of it for me. Um, and so it was an incredible training ground to be able to, you know, set budgets, hire people, you know, work closely with him, um, in all of his day to day works and across that entire department. Um, but it wasn't in the people space, so was there for a couple of years. It was great to get that experience, but it was always itching to be like, okay, well, I'm ready to step fully into a
0: yeah
1: you know, an HR or people and culture role now.
0: Yeah. What was your first big role then? Like what was the role that you think that defined your career? Uh
1: definitely my role at Chorus. Yeah.
0: Um That was pre zero, just just pre zero? Yep, yeah, Pre zero.
1: Uh, this was back in twenty ten, I think, twenty ten, twenty eleven. Uh And that was when Chorus was going through the demerger from what was called Telecom at that stage. Um, Very small, scrappy team.
0: Telecom, for people that are very young listening to this, is what we call Spark Uh, now. Yeah. Yeah, that was back in the day when Vodafone was named Vodafone and Telecom and, yeah. Yeah,
1: definitely. Aging myself on the podcast. Uh, So going into Chorus, which... I think at that stage, there wouldn't have been any other companies that were growing at that speed. Mm. That was demerge from an existing large entity, set your own culture, move from a couple of hundred people within an organisation to 450 within six months. And then from there, we went from 450 to 1,200 within three years. And um, picked so, up
0: a lot of awards in the way in terms yeah. of people and culture and did, like my, my understanding and experience, of course, at the time, as a recruiter, we were a bit of the you know, a canary in the, yep. in the um, coal mine where if something's going poorly, we hear about it, if something's going well, we hear about it. And I always said really good things about Chorus, you yep. know, like hard work but um, did it well.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was an incredible organisation and in the fact that it had that – What I would think of now, it was well-funded. It spun out of something um, overall. So they invested in people and culture. They were thinking in, you know, we had a 50-year plan, a 30-year plan. Everything was quite intentional in how they operated. But at the same time, because they were a new organisation, that was that energy. There was this, we're doing something different. We're growing really quickly. We can change the world. sort of energy and enthusiasm within it. But at the same time, not necessarily having that constraint of, you know, Let's just see how we go to the next funding round or the next yeah. funding round from there. So it was all of the great stuff of startups.
0: What is the um, great stuff of startups? Like, what was the remit that they said to you where you were like, fuck yeah, this is going to be fun?
1: Oh, uh, I remember rolling out, like designing and rolling out our own values, um, mm. defining ourselves as an organization, how our executive team and our leadership team operated The remit to build leadership capability, uh, which I haven't really seen. Everyone talks about building great leaders, but there's very few organisations that invest the time and the Mm. money to do that. So having a bit of a HR generalist, essentially if it's in your teams, you own it, you do it end to end. There's really high autonomy here. We want to build great leaders, so have a remit around that as well. Um, And at that time, I was like early 20s, and so being able to work with the CEO, and the executive team, and then being like, what should we do? How can mm. we do this differently? It was incredible. Mm. Um, I also worked alongside, and it comes back in the story later at Xero, uh, my kind of counterpart was Andy Berner,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and working alongside him, and he had you know, just a very complementary skill set, given he'd come more from a recruitment and employment brand perspective, and I was more on that HR generalist, ER side. Together, there was just this really great collaboration Mm. um, in terms of being able to grow that organisation.
0: Shout out to Andy. Isn't he now a CEO or something? From Yes, CEO
1: or COO um, over in the US. He's, you know, doing some stuff for the Denver uh, as a whole, kind of representing New Zealand. It's pretty incredible.
0: Awesome. Good on you, Andy. And so then you're young, right? Young, early 20s. Was there something in you that was always yearning for fast-paced, something more?
1: Yeah. I actually remember when I was at Chorus, I went to – I went to some conference and I saw one of the people team um, at Zero speak, mm-hmm. um, and they spoke about their values and they spoke about how they were doing the people team. And because I felt like this sort of over here, this outsider, and I remember hearing them speak and went, "Wow, that's amazing! That is a group of people who all seem to think and act in the same way that I do um, in regards to people and culture." So I remember then having this, "Oh, there's this you know cool tech scene that's coming mm-hmm. up." They have, uh, you know, they have that energy, they have that pace, they have that autonomy. And um, so I remember hearing Zero speak and be like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's a really cool field." And then when I was at Chorus, I also remember hearing Kirsty Grant speak yeah. um, at Vend. I went to our chief technology officer at the time and went, "Wow, we're going to lose so much talent to these startups. To these, uh, there was also Orion Health at the time. Yeah. I'd heard, so I was like, Orion Health, Vend, Zero, they're sort of coming for all of our talent." Like mm. they are building incredible places to work at pace. Like we need to adapt to evolve to this. Um but at that time we were twelve hundred people mm. would become a lot more
0: things slow down a bit, yeah. right? And yeah. yeah As they do when move. you get to that stage. Mm.
1: Um and it works and there's no real sort of impetus for change, there's no real need to change. Um and so at that time I went, Okay, I'm ready to go back into what have been what would have been that early stage kind of chorus feeling. Yeah. Um which was startups. So,
0: how big was Zero when you went?
1: About five hundred.
0: So, still a startup here. Yeah. yeah, like gateway drug to a big corporate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, and I was working uh, in Auckland at that time. So they moved me up to Auckland, and I think the Auckland office might have been 50, 60 people. Mm. Um, so very small in, the in this building, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, we're Um, we're in the Icehouse Ventures today. So if you hear any people making coffee or doing things, we don't own this joint. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah, very cool. Back here again. Mm.
1: Um, Yeah, actually, we worked back here later with uh, Crimson as well. So, Phil, it's my old stomping ground uh, coming back. So, yeah, joined Zero, about 500 people, um, 50, 60 in Auckland, I think, at that time. And they went from, I think, in the time I was there, which was about a year, 500 to 1,000. Uh, mm. it's incredible and and that I picked up uh, because that's how you do at that you, point in time it's yeah how do
0: you do that without fucking up or <laughs> is it everyone's gonna fuck it up in some way just less than others
1: yeah everyone's gonna fuck it up
0: yeah. right like, that's how I feel about parenting right like, <laughs> yeah I'm gonna fuck it up less than my father for different yeah. reasons no it's the same as my father for different reasons because yeah. I learned that and fuck it up le- in other ways yeah. but people always ask me and I imagine they ask you the same question is how do you keep the culture as you scale? Yeah. And my answer is always, and I'm curious to know what yours is, you're never going to be able to keep that culture, but you yep. need to keep designing what the new culture is going to be.
1: Definitely. You can always retain, I think you can retain elements of it if right at the start you're very clear on whats what it is. And I've seen a lot of early stage startups go for this is what, amazon do or this is what nike do or this is what you know xyz company do and they go that is what we will value that Mm -hmm. is what our culture is and they try and because that's the cool shiny thing at the time they try and do that and then they're never going to retain that because it was never their own to start with um i think if you're very clear and very intentional at the start then as you think about growth you're kind of looking at adaptations of that
0: so Um, so let's let's get into that into detail right because someone that you know, for you that's been in early stage, later stage growth companies. Yeah. When you say be intentional about what it is, what do you mean by that? Does that mean like create your values from day one and adhere to them? Or does that mean uh, let it organically grow?
1: Yeah, I think if you're a founder or... CEO or co-CEO and you're starting a company, being really clear, I guess, at first about your own personal values, Mm. because in that early stage, when you're involved in every part of the organization, the organization's values, to some extent, are going to mirror your own, Mm -hmm. because those are the behaviors people are going to see day in and day out and try and kind of match them and and mirror them from there. So at least do that kind of self-reflection around what are my values Um, is a great starting place before you sort of go and, and kind of set up organizational values. When you get to it's a ten or fifteen people, that's when I would work with that sort of original founding team and go, "What is it that we value as an organisation? How does that show up?" And I'd look to articulate it at that point, and just don't worry too much about the wordsmithing of it. Just what is the intention? What do we value? How would that show up in kind of day to day behaviours? The other piece that I would look at is like taking those values and then putting them through the lens of how would this change how we recruit? How does it change how we promote someone? How does it change how we would interact with a customer? If we say we are, you know, obsessed about quality and someone in the team does something that's at opposites of that, what are we going to do about it? And just stress test them a little bit and worry more about stress testing than the actual wordsmithing of it. Because that's another piece I see people spend a lot of time on trying to make them sound perfect, um, and then not so much, and actually how they translate.
0: I am 100% agree with you, and yep. I think you articulate it better, way better than I could have before in the past, so I'm going to steal most of Great. that and just say, hey, I've come up with this idea. <laughs> um, the The stress testing thing is that companies, that's what startups and their key original founding team need to do way more often yep. is like put themselves in hypotheticals about what's going to happen if this yep. happens. What are we going to do if this situation happens? Yeah. Because like, yeah, like let's be honest, most people's values they've stolen from like Atlassian, don't fuck yep. like the customer, they've stolen from Netflix, they've stolen from, yep. and, you know, Nike's topical at the moment because of that movie, yep. right? So everyone's talking about that. Yeah. But um, I think what you say, there is so much more important yeah. in that, Put yourself in positions where you can stress test these things yep. because you'll understand the type of company that you're gonna be in yep. the future. And so Yeah, Definitely. awesome. Well, thank you. Um so then you go into zero. Yep. Um five hundred to a thousand yep. people. What the fuck? <laughs> like <laughs>
1: Yeah. It was it was an incredible time. In that space I was doing HR journalist work. They didn't have an organizational development function. So I was doing what was some of the starting work around uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, working on building sales capability, all hands on deck. You've got an idea, you run with it. Uh, Exactly that spirit of startups, everything is possible. Um, Let's try something, let's iterate on it. And I think as a kind of people and culture person, what startups is really great for is helping you be comfortable with just throwing your work out, right? Mm -hmm. Being wrong, iterating on something, having everyone tell you that it's a shit idea, yeah. and then going back and doing it again, and just operating at that pace and eventually getting to some really great work products. I mean some of the work that I did then i'd still have organizations today be kind of reaching out and be like, How did you do that? Like, so it sort mm. of stood the test of time, what we were able to iterate in such a short amount what, of time.
0: What are the key things that you think companies should think about if they 've got a peaceful well and culture team, and i'm going to premise this by saying that I've worked in people and culture teams and and I'm a recruiter who doesn't like to do HR stuff, right? So, But then they, I've sat around so many meeting tables where they've been like, let's do this. And I'm like, what the fuck is that going to solve? You know, that's a waste of time. You're just trying to make yourself look good so that you can speak at a conference later. That's not helping this business. And so what do you think are the key things that people and culture teams can really help, you know? Because – so you're like what I would call like a chief heart officer, you okay. know, like a, like the heart of the business. Think, yeah. Thinking about it from a like how does the business drive yeah. um, versus a chief HR officer, yeah, yeah. if you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's always worth. <laughs> it's gonna put me well back on that outside. Really thinking about what you want a people and culture team for, mm. right? I have seen people and culture teams just focus on warm, fuzzy stuff that drives no business value um, and then, you know, pat yourselves on the back for it. Great. Uh, But if you really want an organisation that, you know, performs, you know, if you're thinking about what roles we bring on, you know, ahead of the curve, actually what our financials look like from a people perspective, what is the one or two things that we could really do for our people that unlock them? Is it, leadership development that's going to unlock mm. our people is it expanding into a new market and then the people and culture team focus on those pieces is it building a great employment brand they do that but when you again you mirror other organizations you go we need a people and culture function and you just kind of bring it in to do whatever Yeah. it just spins around in circles but going what's going to unlock our organization is it xyz and we're going to focus and we're going to bring in a people team that just does those pieces maybe it's measuring productivity could yeah. be what you need, people and culture. And then maybe you're bringing in someone who's got a data and analytical background, not a people background, mm-hmm. and that's how they're unlocking the organisation. Like moving upstream to what is actually blocking our organisation could be systems implementation, and that's your problem, not necessarily a people challenge yet. So being really clear about where your challenges are as an organisation, what is going to unlock you, and then defining your people and culture team around that, because I think they are. They unlock your organisation, they help you scale, they help you grow, but if you don't know where that unlock is coming from, it's very hard to just throw a people and culture function in and expect that they're going to have the right skills and capability to, to
0: fix yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I may have an agenda here because I own a people and <laughs> yeah. culture consultancy, but I always think it's best to get external advice first yep. so that someone's not you know, internally trying yep. to pull levers, but can give you honest advice on yep. what you need to do. And so definitely, definitely go yeah. and see Kimberly Gilmore at Sprinkler if you need that. <laughs> Good plug. Yep. Um, so then... Like you, you go in, you're doing good pro- like projects at zero yeah. but you made a big name for yourself, right? Like you seemed to pop up everywhere. Xero yeah. so seemed to be the role that there was like a catalyst for like holy fuck pennies sort of everywhere. Yeah. Um, was that something strategic for yourself or was it just something that came with the natural growth of zero?
1: That was natural growth of zero. There was definitely, I was at that point trying to build more of a brand around because I wanted to change the people industry and how it was perceived. There was sort of an intentional piece around the brand of some of the work we were doing and how we were doing it differently. Um, But overall, I would say it was just kind of riding that, you know, zero rocket ship for one of a better analogy. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Awesome. What what do you look back now in your time and say that this was the most memorable time at zero? And then opposite of that, what did you fucking hate the most?
1: (laughs) The most memorable time? I think it was some of the... The work we did around sales capability, and that sounds really boring. Uh, But But is that that
0: because you're unlocking business rather than just doing... Yeah, exactly.
1: That was the sales team had got to a point where you're using accountants to sell software, and that wasn't necessarily scaling, because that's going to get to a certain point. But actually, how do we bring in uh, either how do we build the capability for them to become great salespeople, and what capability is that, and then... You know, how do we bring in salespeople that are also going to be able to kind of build that industry knowledge? So it was an unlock. It was in the revenue space. You invest this time and this energy and, and help them kind of define their capabilities and develop there, help them recruit better. Yeah. You know, immediately you can see the impact in that in terms of how sales teams perform against their target. So that for me was a, wow, there is work we can do in this space that's immediately going to you know, help with revenue, help the overall business. Um. So can I, can was, I ask you a question on that? Yeah. Because
0: I think largely people in culture, and I'm am keen to get to your thoughts on as you now are a CEO in a company. Yeah. How does how does your thoughts at looking at people and culture backwards now mm-hmm. changed? Um, but I think largely with people in culture, my frustrations with them is that they largely don't feel like they have the confidence to be able to go into these teams and have those conversations outside yeah. their room and of, is everyone being okay? Yeah. You know, can we do anything better? Because yeah. they don't feel like they can unlock yeah. business or have the confidence. Yeah. And so what was it about you and what do you think other people can do to be able to do that? Because most P&T wouldn't go into a sales team and go, I can fucking help here.
1: Yeah. I think actually part of this was some of the... The chorus trainer, I remember my boss at the time, Sarah, who was an incredible mentor, um, was very clear, if you're on the people team, you don't sit within the people team physically because back in the day when everyone was in offices and, and five yeah. days a week, you go and sit in amongst the technology team. Mm. You go and sit in amongst the legal team. We can come together as a team, but like your job is to support them, so you go and get in amongst those groups. And I think I've always taken that. I spend a lot of time... In companies, just job shadowing, sitting amongst teams, understanding what the challenges are, asking questions about how things work—probably sometimes a little bit annoyingly to some teams—but um, just that curiosity to understand what's going on, and then you can ask questions. And go, oh, if that's happening, what would happen if we did this? And because you've taken the time to get to know people, you understand all the components. When you ask those questions, it's not like who are you asking these questions? It's like you've already built a little bit of understanding. Um, mm. So in zero was in amongst the sales team, understanding what they were doing. What was their processes like? What was a sales consultation like? How did leads come in? Really just trying to understand if we're going to build these capabilities, when do you need them? What are the skills needed to do an outbound call? What does a sales consultation look like? What is a sales process? How do we maintain all the details of our leads? Just trying to get into all of that kind of detail and understanding. And so I think that confidence comes from going and learning from people getting out in the business you know just sitting observing their work yeah. um and then you build up one you build up rapport um so it's easier to kind of make a dick of yourself um and ask stupid questions and then two you just have a little bit more understanding and you connect the dots and you come from a different perspective and you pose those questions back and you get a little bit more you know discussion and buy-in
0: yeah, and you democratise, right? Like yeah. you're not it's not an us and them. People yep. actually believe you, right? They they believe you want to learn about them. Yeah. So they're prepared to give you the information that you need to learn. Yeah. That's a, awesome. So uh, I think you avoided the question. I said, What did you hate about zero?
1: Oh, what did I hate? Oh, uh I mean this is a symptom of a lot of startups that uh kind of founder energy on one side is great from like things moving forward on the other side when you're supporting a business and rod would come in and be like we're spinning up this function we need 300 people and we are going after you know the rod bomb bomb. Yeah. yeah we're going to spin up this function and then you've got all this team going how does that impact me? What's happening? Is our strategy changing? Uh, you just have so much more rework. Yeah. And people, you know, upset or displaced, you just, you would be moving forward and then suddenly let's go 10 steps back, placate everyone, make sure everyone is bought in, they understand what's going on and then let's get back to where we were. So that...
0: Frustrating. Yeah, frustrating. That, that's largely what my team would say about me too. So <laughs> <laughs> that'd be like Troy comes in, sizzle his shit and yeah. then walks around the room. Bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Cool. All right. And then, so then you became the chief people officer at Venn, like after yep. uh, Kirstie and I left. Yep. Yeah. And so that would have been a tough, t- challenging time because you came yeah. in post like, the redundancies yeah. and the restructuring, right? Yeah. What the fuck?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you, you're just like, I could fucking fix this shit. Or was it like, I feel like I can do justice or...
1: Yeah, it was. It was a bit of. It was a bit of both, right? I I think a lot of the challenges that Vend had at that time around communication and structure and tying you know roles and people functions sort of into into goals overall, I'd done in previous organisations. I was like, great, there's sort of a semblance of things that I can come in and do here. Um, And then I also just had immense respect for what had been built yeah. and i didn't want it to be pulled apart right which is natural at that point in time to come in and change everything but try and get to the bottom of what was really great that we need to retain yeah. um and then you know as we look to kind of change the culture a little bit how do we kind of build on top of that but also wanting to preserve the great things because i had a great employment brand i had some incredible talent um and still does today so how do we preserve that but then also you know, how can we put in a little bit more structure and some of the pieces that I'd learned from working in more corporate environments, startups obviously have an aversion to corporate, but a lot of the stuff they've done when you strip it back For is sure. actually yeah, yeah, it's good work. Yeah. Um so how do we kind of layer that into vend and actually put a little bit more structure and process around it so people know, you know, why they're paid why they're what they're yeah. paid, where their next role looks like. You know, just put in some of that structure, but also retain the like you know, get shit done. Sort of attitude. Yeah.
0: Knowing both Rod and Vaughan, yep. different chaps, completely. Right. Yeah. What was the differences that you had to change or learn when you're working with someone or working with someone like Vaughan versus Rod?
1: Yeah, I'd say I worked more with uh, with Alex. Oh yeah. Uh, as he was coming in. Actually,
0: he came in. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So I sort of joined kind of him at that time. Um, Vaughan stepping into you know more of that sort of product was he cpo chief products officer more of the that
0: chief i used to be the founder title yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly
1: um and so he had very clear views on what needed to be retained which yeah. was very valuable because if at any time he you could kind alex of like or oh sorry Vaughan, Vaughan, yeah. um sort of a bit of a sniff test right like we want to roll this out and if he had an allergic reaction to it would go okay this probably ends a bit more refinement yeah. um and then alex coming in who comes from a you know management consulting background which is quite uh quite different and sort of different to my working style and sort of finding what works in between that was an incredible time.
0: Was there a challenge? Like, was there lots of arguments or... No, I uh, want to say arguments, got robust conversation.
1: Definitely. Yeah, because Alex of, is McKinsey
0: yeah. consultant. Yeah. Um, Penny's strategically, like... Said one day at chorus, I'm going to work for Vend and Zero because they seem to have the <laughs> um, coming. Out. And how old were you as the chief people officer at Vend?
1: Twenty six.
0: Fuck yeah. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. 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 Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Vaughn, who like by his own admission on the podcast, yeah. he was like, I was making shit up as I was going right. Yeah. And so that's a really interesting dynamic, you yeah. know, of people to be working together.
1: Yeah. We had some incredible debates discussion. Some of the things I've kind of taken on now is this willingness to just openly debate and put yourself in opposing sides. Like Alex would have this kind of technique when we were in debates that we would switch sides and each mm. kind of argue the other side yeah. and then switch back.
0: Like steel man it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um and it was just so useful to also put yourself outside of what you were trying to push or what employees were asking you for and really look at it from all sides. Um whilst yeah trying to retain the culture but trying to build like it was yeah incredible in that space. Yeah.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um and so as a do you feel imposter syndrome as a 26-year-old in an exec role?
1: Yeah, I I mean I remember when I met the when I met the team, VP and Enchordo and, and I went out for kind of a I drink. I
0: love VP and Gordo, oh, like, incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, some of the best people people. Uh I remember going out for kind of a pre drink with them uh, before I joined and we were sitting next to someone and someone asked how old I was. And then I said how old I was and just VP and Jordo's faces were just like, and I was like, oh, didn't really have that much kind of, I had some imposter syndrome uh, before that, but kind of seeing their reaction, I'm like, oh, that's sort of a more. Because you would have been
0: younger than VP yeah. and the same age as Jordo, maybe or a little yeah. bit older than Jordo, Slightly older, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Coming in as their yeah as their boss leading this function after the organization's just gone through kind of this much change. So it always felt like there was that extra... I've got to push myself. I've got to work harder than anyone else. I need to, you know, be um, kind of at, at the top mm. of my game, right? So I think.
0: Is that a good thing? <sighs> Hashtag hustle culture, right? Like, yeah. so we are, like we talk about this a little bit on the pod. Yeah. I have mixed emotions on this because yeah. I feel like if I didn't put myself into those positions where yeah. I had to push myself to places that I, did, I yeah. didn't think I'd be able to go, I wouldn't be the person that I am and capable. I wouldn't be the capable person that I am. Yeah. But. Definitely did some burnout shit along the way.
1: Definitely. Uh, I Come feel on. quite I feel quite torn on this.
0: Give me your honest opinion.
1: I think overall, like, hustle is positive. Yeah. I think it is required to a certain extent, particularly in this startup space. I think that is when you go into it, if you are looking to kind of do the impossible, like, if you're looking to go into an organization and make incremental change you can do that and have a really good balance. Yep. If you are looking to completely like break the system, there is a certain nature of like there is a very competitive environment when we look at a global level and we look at how fast other companies other countries are able to spin up competing mm. companies to us. So there is a level of like putting in the work, like going above and beyond that I think is required yeah. in startups. I think if I look back on on my time, I probably could have worked a little bit, you know smarter that sounds really cliche that kind of smarter not harder I think if I'd had a few more mentors around me at that time they probably could have saved me some like overwork It's sometimes just overproducing, producing over explaining putting in way too much research for something that would have been fine as a few bullet points on a piece of paper so I think hustle in terms of uh, the end kind of work output yeah. is valuable I think having a really good team of like mentors and advisors around you that they can go you're totally just overcooking it. Yeah. Um, is worthwhile. And having that around you gets a little bit more, yeah, gets a little bit more balance. Um, but yeah. I, yeah.
0: I think that's good advice. I, I'm My take in on it is that I, I call it performance culture instead yeah. of hustle culture, right? Like yeah, yeah. hustle is just a word, you know. I think hustle's dirtied the, yeah, yeah. you know, the saying a little bit. But if you want to be an outlier. Yeah. You have to fucking work hard yep. and push yourself to places that you didn't think you could go. Yeah. If you don't want to be an outlier, that's totally fine, right? Yep. We need we need people that can do the job nine to five. We yep. need people that can, you know, do their thing, go home at the end of the day. Yeah. But we also need people to push us to places that we haven't necessarily been so yep. that the company can evolve and grow as well. And Definitely. So, but be careful what you wish for, yeah. you know, <laughs> because everyone that I know that gets there after yep. hustling for a long time, you know, has got some pretty big scars because Definitely. of it. And so,
1: Which is not... It's not that healthy. I think there is that split between what is good hustle versus bad hustle yeah. and what is bad hustle is just trying to do everything yourself. Yeah.
0: And I think you nailed it, right, that having good mentors around you that know because in New Zealand and in Australia to a degree, we don't have the niche or the niche mm. as the Americans would say, right, yeah. niche skills of people that are absolute experts in that space that if yep. you need some information, you can say, all right, well, who's, who's the specialist for pricing in SAS in the education space yeah. you know, in Vermont? Ben. And you, there's a person, yeah. right? There's a lady or a man or a person, yeah. right? And so here we are, we're just generalists. So we have yeah. to work harder and hustle, you know, to yeah. learn a little bit. And so, but yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. And so great, good time at Venn. Then yep. by the sounds of it, yeah. enjoyed it. What made you leave?
1: Uh, I met I met Jamie,
0: yeah.
1: uh, really. I had no real... Plans to leave, um, and then I met Jamie, I think, for a coffee one day.
0: Jamie is the founder of Crimson? Crimson, yes, yeah. Jamie
1: Beaton. Uh, so I met him for met him for coffee. He was 21 at the time. Uh, I think that I met him for coffee, and he shared his vision for Crimson uh, and what it would eventually turn into be, and I think at that point it was about 40 people. And the questions he asked, Harry was thinking about the people function. You know, he hadn't been... A manager before, uh, so didn't have that sort of huge wealth of management experience or in other organisations. Yet this vision to build this organisation, and didn't have any any kind of leadership coach people roles on his mm. team at that time. And I went, this is my chance to do something, do something pretty incredible, and do something from scratch. And I think that was one piece from from Vend coming in off an incredible team who've done incredible work to date. You're always kind of building on, wasn't Troy, yours. yeah. Troy did this, or Kirsty did this, or, or what have you, yeah. um, and and the team overall, and then going into Crimson, I'm like, well, nobody has touched this before.
0: Yeah, the thank, culture thank we you, Thank for you for in- insinuating that I had any legacy of Ben, By <laughs> the way, I appreciate that. No, you know, it's definitely
1: was. the uh, <laughs> it was it was the association. Um, <laughs> was some incredible work, and then yeah, Crimson's I was like, this is it. I can, uh, yeah, I can make a. Name, make a mark, build something, but yeah. have it be fully my own, build a people team from scratch, really relook at the people function. Because when you do it have you work with someone who has no prior experience working with a people team before, it's liberating. There Wait. is no constraint on what it can do.
0: And it's daunting and I remember thinking, I'm gonna be really honest, yeah. right? I remember thinking fuck Penny, good luck. Yep. That's going to be a challenge, you yep. know, like you've really thrown yourself into the fire now. Yeah. And there was the external talk of, yep. because Jamie was a young CEO and yep. people didn't understand what the company was. They yep. were like, what the fuck's that company? It's a scam or yep. this than that, right? And so there was all this pressure and I remember thinking, I don't know her very well, but I'm nervous yep. for her, right? Yeah. So fucking good on you. Like Yeah.
1: I had a lot of text messages at that time. I think actually one from yourself calling it snake oil, uh, if I recall Did correctly. I? Yeah. yeah. Uh which wasn't the only one, right? This yeah. was this was Jamie studying in America, so very kind of aggressive with his ambition. And yeah. that just went against the New Zealand ecosystem at that time. Yeah. Um and I got a lot of yeah, a lot of pushback and a lot of messages. And I'm like, no, he can like we can build something great.
0: Yeah. He is the
1: type of person that is never going. He's just not going to fail. That is not in his nature. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, give you so much autonomy to build something on that scale. Like It was a pretty big leap of faith from him to also bring yeah. me on at that time. So
0: Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Like, and that, that's like, that's definitely something for me, right, that I'm trying to reflect on and be a better person about because yeah. I hear so much shit, right? And I'm like... Yeah. And I want to be able to make my own mind about people yeah. going forward. And I want to be able to have them look them in the eyes and give them the credibility and the oxygen they deserve. And yeah. so, but I think that's, that's really cool. And it shows testament to your character and your person, right? And yeah. so, so then you go in to do the CPO role there. And yeah. then all of a sudden, next minute, I hear you're going back to do the CE role, right? Yeah. So let's. Like, let's not gloss over the stuff that you did at Crimson because I think it's great, yeah. but what I'm really excited to talk to you about is, yeah. like, what what the fuck in the start? Like, so how do you become, like, I know that yeah. you're an amazing person and employee and, yeah. you know, you would have been a sad miss when you left the role, yeah. but how do you say to yourself, okay, now I'm going to be the CEO? Yeah.
1: Uh, I guess I also, and I forgot to mention this, back in – I think back in Quora's days, uh, I was like, "I want to be the CEO."
0: Yeah,
1: that was what I'm going to put on my development plan. There's a bit of a
0: theme plane. in your background of like visualising your yeah. future, right?
1: Yeah, I'd sort of I was maybe three or four years into the kind of people space. Uh, I look back now, I was like, "Oh, that was naive." But I'm going to be the CEO, and the CEO at the time said to me, "Penny, that is not a job for you. You are not going to do well in that profession." I was like.
0: Okay. I'll fucking show you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Here we are. Um, did you, no, but did
0: you send he or she a little message?
1: No, I did it. And to be fair, he was right. That iteration of yeah. myself was in no way yeah. kind of ready or prepared for that, and it was a very naive uh, thing mm. to say. But always kind of had this had this vision around it. So when I went into Crimson again, without any kind of constraints of what a people function could do, whilst my title was chief people officer. My remit when I started, I think in my first week, uh, Jamie said, we are going to launch into 15 markets in the next three months. So launch 15 markets. Uh, You know, you think of organizations now who go, we may expand into the US in a year. We'll go to Australia first
0: though. (laughs) Let's test the waters in the UK. Um,
1: But 15 markets in three months, go. (laughs) Wow. Um, And so it was, you know, people and culture and helping define all of that. But at the same time, it was, how do we make these markets viable? How do we compensate people that aligns to like emerging markets? Uh, What is the regulations in these markets? It was so much more than a people function. Mm. Um, At the same time, coaching leaders, and what I love about Crimson is, that people can be in roles that don't have that experience before but just have that like ambition and the innate skill to do it and they develop into it and so working with those types of individuals that you know are just developing as they go they're incredibly spongy you can sort of set them off on one path and you see where they kind of come out and it's pretty amazing and so working with them through this time launching markets we went from
0: it seems like yeah. more of a chief of staff role that you were in, right? As
1: yeah, a- I would say in those early days, it was much more reflective of that. It was yeah. comms, it was strategy, it was people, it was sort of yeah. whatever was needed. Um, and eventually evolved into, I managed marketing for a little bit, um, got involved in technology and product at times, uh, ran one of the business units. Again, with that, like a people team is unblocking whatever your challenge is at that time in an yeah. organisation moving upstream and going this is a challenge I'm just going to jump in and fix it Mm. so if it means that I need to lead a team or I need to kind of get in and look at how we're doing you know technology development or how we're setting our product strategy I'll just jump in there and do it so that was the remit whatever needed to be done
0: well Um, and was it was that um Jamie grooming's a terrible word but you know <laughs> was that J- Jamie growing you into that role or was that you naturally just saying it's in my nature I'm going to be CEO one day so I want to learn these roles or was it just naturally like hey something I just need to sort that thing
1: a bit of both i think Jamie and i have always had conversations my end goal is not a people role yeah uh, and so there was always him sort of challenging me to be like i don't care that you've done that in the past how should we do it now or uh, I remember this vivid example. I'm not sure why this has burned into my brain, but we were looking at, um, we were just looking in some spreadsheet We might've been looking at stock options or something. And he's like, we'll just do the like Black Shoals calculation. I was like, I, that feels well outside of my remit. How do I do that? And he's like, just learn how to do it. Mm. <laughs> just no, uh, no starting point of, that's not in your remit. You don't need to do it. Hand it to another team. It was, well, go, talk to out. people, figure it out and come back and he'll obviously give guidance along the way but that's sort of, I don't know why that example specifically. Well, I, but I was just
0: going to ask you something along the lines of what was it about Jamie as a 21 year old guy who was obviously super driven, visionary, yeah. what did he unlock in you that others couldn't?
1: Really that for him experience means uh, only so much right? The actual just getting in and doing something and figuring out as you go and being really open to give something a go is much more important. So in other organisations, it'd be like, okay, well, what have you seen in the past that's worked and how can we adapt it? With Jamie, it's more, let's start from first principles and how do we redo this? And even then, if it's in another team or another function, how would you approach it? How would you kind of tackle this? If you were the CTO, what would you do? Mm. Um, And those kind of conversations were very kind of empowering. You would still have lots of debates and discussion around it, but just unlocking that thinking of, uh, outside of a people function, anything is possible, you know, still being reasonably long, young, you can learn anything, right? Yeah. If you get stuck in, you chat to people, you do the research, you learn some things, like you can achieve those things. Yeah. Um, and I think his just sense of that genuinely everything is possible, which sounds very cliche, but that is just in his nature, just really unlocked that, um, kind of you no know, putting yourself in a box sort of self limiting beliefs yeah. like he just wouldn't have time
0: for that. So awesome. And now um so you find yourself in the CE role. Yep. Well you didn't find yourself in the CE yeah. role. You earned your way into the CE role. Yeah. And then you've sort of realized that all these skills that you've already been developing for the role. Yeah. Where did you feel uncomfortable though?
1: Yeah. Uh so I'm still only about two months two months into it at this stage. Um I actually had a conversation with someone earlier this week and they went, how are you finding the CEO role? That's the loneliest job in an organization.
0: Yeah, preach. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but I also couldn't help but laugh. And I was like, have you ever been a chief people officer before?
0: Oh, true. Because
1: yeah. like everyone in an organization has an opinion of what you're doing, right or wrong, just like a CEO.
0: Lonely and liked less. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You can walk in a room, some organizations will love you, some will go quiet when you walk in the room. Um, you hear everything from everyone in the organization, good or bad. And at the same time, you're trying to set the the CEO up for success so you don't necessarily kind of pick and choose what you pass on, right? Like what is most important for them to know right now to do their work versus what is just sort of periphery information? So you are always just taking in all of this information. It's an incredibly lonely job. Um,
0: Do you you get your team to shield you from that information or do you ask for it because you've been in that situation?
1: Yeah, I I, I mean, I like to operate on full context, full transparency, and I will do the same. Good or bad. Um, that's how I like to operate. And I've always found that in my roles, that's how you make the best decisions. Yep. So I'm sure there is an element of that, though, that is already kind of happening just by nature of the role. Um, yep. And so trying to break that down, just tell me everything, tell me everything that's going on. Um, I've already kind of been at the end of a fire hose before and for a number of years in these roles. So I can take it. Just tell me whatever's yeah, yeah. going on.
0: Do you have to be nastier to be a CEO? Or well, not necessarily nastier, but do you have to be a little bit more cutthroat and conviction about your decision making than a cpo
1: i think what's refreshing is i can share more of my thought process when you're in a people role you've made that decision in conjunction with people and when you let's say you're making a restructure or what have you you're sort of delivering the party line Mm. you can't share too much because that wasn't your decision to make or the context can't be shared what i found quite liberating is Oh, well, I'm in the CEO role so I can share how I've made this decision, the thought process that went in, the data I looked at. I can just be open about all of that as opposed to needing to just kind of, yeah.
0: Validate it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's really uh, – uh, I like that. Word. Like, I definitely think out loud now because yeah. I have the safety and confidence to yeah, think out loud. Yeah,
1: definitely. And
0: I don't care if I make a dumb statement yeah. because I'm going on a thought experiment trying <laughs> to figure it out, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the luxury you have, I guess. What? So, well done, right? Like, this has been – how old are you now? 34, uh, yeah. This is, like – Penny at 34 is now yeah. in a CEO for the last two months. By design, yeah. has created an amazing career for herself, but also like worked really amazingly. And yeah. I, I'd love you to be able to like say, how, so what messages or what could you pass on about your career that someone, like some young young person, some young girl, some young guy, some yeah. you know anyone in any situation could be looking at that now. And go, I'm 22. I'm in my first people and cultural role, or I'm in a, an office manager role. How the fuck do I become a CEO at 34? <laughs> When you say it like
1: that, that feels quite daunting. I think, like, one is to have a really clear vision of where you want to go, right? Starting out, I wanted to be an HR, laser focused on that. Mm -hmm. Then I wanted to be a CEO, and I sort of charted out a path and I charted out what are the key skills and key experiences I'm going to need along the way to pick up for that. Be it to move from a CPO to a CEO, you know, I'll need to get a lot better at finance. Data analytics, strategy. How do I make sure I'm intentionally picking up that experience along the way um, to get to that?
0: Did you get mentors? Did you just pick it up?
1: A bit of of both, really. I think every CEO that I've worked with has been like a mentor in some Mm. capacity in terms of, I mean, the great thing about being in a people and culture role or an office manager role, actually any supporting role, is you're in a lot of these meetings. Yeah. You are across a lot of these comms. like All of those things that you're seeing every day, you can learn from.
0: I mean, you've worked with great leaders in the yeah. country, right? And so yeah, you've been, incredible
1: leaders, yeah. Um, to sit with them in meetings and watch how they conduct themselves, how they handle Q&A, how they roll out a strategy, how they sort of handle adversity. It's like, an incredible experience to sit in amongst Um and so, all of them have been like a mentor in different aspects. I mean, I still do things today which I picked up from Alex. I do things that I picked up from Jamie. I do things I picked up from Mark back and Chorus, from Rod and Zero yeah. and from Andy. Um, there are elements of all of that incorporated in how I operate today. For uh, sure. the vision
0: of you that's in taking that knowledge yeah. and not trying to project yeah. someone else's, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. You I just think pick
1: out what feels like, what feels natural, what feels yourself, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But find every opportunity to just observe, read. Uh I see people now that kind of switch off if it's not in their team. So I don't need to read that marketing strategy because I'm not in marketing even though it's being shared. Like yeah. read all the documents, talk to all the people. Um like just build that sort of like network and that curiosity. Um and if you do that with a clear vision in mind, you can start to kind of put your hand up for projects. You can um, you know, start your own side hustle. And and definitely a lot of the skills I learned were, you know, I had food trucks uh, for a portion of time. I ran my own consulting business. I did some mentorship um, work via that consulting company. Uh, I did uh, what is now the restaurants on top of that as well. And because at that point in time, I wasn't getting the development I needed. My people remote was pretty full. And so I'm going to go and get the development outside of work in Doing marketing, running my own business, balancing books, uh, you know, those were experiences that I wanted to pick up along the way. And if I wasn't getting them internally, you go and seek them out um, by doing kind of things on the side, by doing additional learning, you just go and kind of pick it up.
0: So. Yeah. There's a theme on this podcast of so the like really interesting and successful people that I've chatted with that just always pushing themselves out of that comfort zone a little yeah. bit and always yearning for it. Yeah. Um, and like you say, when they don't get it somewhere, they're finding it in other places yep. because they're always continuously looking to move. Yeah. Do you think that's because we're all fucked up in some way from our childhood and we're trying to find something? <laughs> or do you think it's just because we're like by design, that's what we want to be? It's
1: probably a bit of both really. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> For me, it's the childhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're
1: seeking some kind of like validation, yeah. learning. And I mean, there's definitely, definitely elements of both. But yeah, the the most successful people I've worked alongside do just have that, you know, I'm going to go and learn it. I'm going to go and research. I'm going to go and talk to someone. People reach out to me now and just to ask questions, to have a coffee. I'm like, this is amazing. Do more of this. I mean, I say yes to, I think, every single person that does that because…
0: Be careful what you just said. (laughs) Sorry. We'll edit it out. (laughs) Uh, Nearly every every person.
1: (laughs) um, Because, like, people who are going to take that initiative and kind of build that network, ask questions, put themselves in a position where they go, I don't have all the answers… They're going to do incredibly well.
0: Yeah. Hi, yeah. Preach there. Preach there. Yeah. Hey, so um, this is going really fast. I'm <laughs> conscious that I want to say a few more things. good. Okay. But before I do, hello. So you're the CEO now of Crimson Education. Uh, Crimson, Crimson Global Academy. Global Academy, excuse yeah. me. So what is Crimson Global Academy?
1: Yeah, it's an online private high school. Uh, founded three years ago. This was Jamie's vision. I was at uh, Crimson Education when he set this vision about creating um, an online school that like, made uh, like education, one, more accessible, but allowed students to kind of accelerate at their own kind of level of competence versus age, uh, which was something he was really passionate about from his learning journey. And then also doing that with technology and enabling technology so you can have it around the world. He actually had this idea pre-COVID and launched just before COVID. And then that was like, wow, what kind of foresight is that?
0: Perfect timing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: So the school has been in operation for three years now. Uh, It's got just over 1,000 students in 55 countries globally. Um, Is this
0: validation that universities can do this too?
1: Yeah, I think what is, I mean, more and more universities are moving to um an online or a bit of a mm. hybrid and i think absolutely like there is no uh there is value in in person from a networking from a community yeah. and i think if you think about like a community and belonging and really making the most of an educational experience a lot of that's valuable to have in person but a lot of that just digesting content if you think about how we learn right now might be from youtube might be from a podcast like having that kind of information available online at any time is very useful. Mm. Um, what we've done, though, is a lot of online schools are just digest content. Pairing that with incredible teachers to run like, synchronous lessons anywhere in the world um, has been really the unlock for that. Um, so a fully accredited school uh, in New Zealand, and we operate yeah, 55 countries with a US pathway and an international pathway.
0: Oh, so global, CEO, 55 countries. Yeah. Team is
1: about 135 people.
0: Awesome. Yeah.
1: Love it. uh, It's pretty amazing. It's something I'm very, from the people space, this kind of parallel with education and with students is very similar. Employee experience, student experience, uh, building kind of learning pathways, setting people up for the future of work, building remote global communities. Like there are so many parallels with those businesses. It's yeah, kind of a natural, feels like quite a natural transition into yeah. that type of organisation.
0: So then now, this is where people, right, so when you reach a lift, uh, lofty goal, right, so you're yeah. now the CEO, do you yeah. now reset yourself and say, okay, I'm probably going to be in this for the X amount of years, this is what I want to do next? Have you th- thought about that yet or is it too early?
1: I, mm, might be a little bit early, but I think what I've learned in the last three, four years is just to be really happy, being content. Like you don't always need to be chasing something. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you are learning and developing, it's not a title or a level. I definitely had that when I was younger. it was like, goal, goal, goal. And, you know, you're chasing those goalposts. And in the last few years, and probably as a result of being a mum, uh, just being a lot more happy with just things being calm and kind of being in that zone and making the most of that. Um, yeah. So a lot more open-minded to, you know, where things will go from here. Obviously have huge ambitions and goals for, for cga which we will see through um but also just being really comfortable with whatever my role is on that journey it's a lot more um kind of getting to here i just feel a lot more like okay yeah. we're here let's make yeah. the most of it
0: did you have it did you celebrate that did you like that milestone
1: yeah definitely
0: mm.
1: it's been a long time coming it feels yeah. like a long time coming but
0: yeah, yeah. well not really but it's, yeah yeah it's you know when, <laughs> but when you are active in your as, like aspirations yeah you know like you work hard and you live a lot, a lot of hours, right? Yeah, and so worked does, a lot of jobs. Yeah, it really does feel like a long time, even though there's people out there that have been carving it for 40 years. <laughs> um,
1: Definitely. I mean, I was fortunate, right? You ride the technology boom. I rode the sort of like boom of the HR industry changing. You know, they had both of those waves working on my side, right? Like, there are other industries that are... I've never
0: met uh, a yeah. CEO that got lucky <laughs> in their job to get that job, mate, just FYI. Okay, fine, yeah, that's yeah, fair, that's yeah. fair, yeah. Hey, um, this has been a really, really, really cool chat. I've really enjoyed this. I always like chatting with you. I'm so glad that you didn't listen to my or anyone else's (laughs) advice and just backed yourself because I think one of the the things that like successful, like Sir Jamie and your success, right, in Crimson is that makes us as an industry have to improve ourselves, right? And it makes, you know, like us think, Stop the whole tall poppy thing and I've really been active on that right like I now anytime I hear something about someone I'm like no I'm not going to say anything I'm yeah. not going to I'm going to make my and I, I hear a lot you know yeah. like as a f- podcast host yeah. they're like Don't ever get this person on I'm like well I'm going to talk to them regardless yeah. and see um but I think it's really cool like and I'm really pleased with what Crimson has done you know they were yeah. down in that little front part of Venn back yeah. in the day mm-hmm. and now you know grown very big all, yeah. all over the world yeah we, we're just losing some sort of light there <laughs> Jono um so this is yeah. like startup land for yeah, us in, right. in Auckland um <laughs> now Jono's laughing and yeah um so yeah I'm really it's it's been really cool right it's um yeah. and I I'm I'm impressed with you Jamie and everyone involved in Crimson and I'm really excited about the future of you in this new role yes. uh, and a last little nugget, so you might have heard us talk about the what makes you happy question. Um, we're now finalising with, like, if we're going to leave something in the show notes for someone that moved you so much that you'd like them to also see it, it may be a person, it may be a blog, it may be a book, it may be a website, what's the one thing that you would be like, that's the one?
1: Oof! I've been Having listened to the podcast, I was prepared for what makes you happy.
0: What's the answer to that then? Let's start with that.
1: Okay, well I think from from what you've heard from everything I mean what makes me happy is just learning something yeah. Just finding something new In completely unrelated areas And just digesting information uh, That makes me incredibly happy What I would share This is particularly topical So I may, uh, may have a little bit of recency bias But I just finished reading the book Amp It Up mm-hmm. uh, It's from the founder of well, founder of CEO from uh, Snowflake and ServiceNow and he talked about you know the stages that organisations go through and how to essentially get rid of that bureaucracy, um, yep. you know how you actually get your large organisations back to that sort of startup mentality, the decisions you need to make um, to really get that culture back, um, an increased level of autonomy. He has some quite interesting views about the role of you know, customer support. Is that a function in itself, or is that mm-hmm. everyone's job? Uh, so just really interesting thinking and having witnessed from seed to seed round to series D at this point and sort of all stages from about, you know, 10 to a thousand people, you definitely, what he maps out, you see in every organization time and time again, as they go through growth, that book puts a really practical lens into actually how to break it down. Um, so that's one right now.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to have the book up here <laughs> that people can see. Jono is going to do that and sure. post um, Hey. um, it's just on the support thing, right? This is something yeah. that I'm particularly passionate about and I've always said, I've got three tech startups myself yeah. at the moment, right? And I've always wow. said to everyone, if it takes off and we have a big business, yeah. my theory is that we should only have a 50% support team and 50% should come within their business yeah. and we cycle people in and out of support so we always they always know exactly what customers are saying. They know the pain that support go through. They yeah. know the, the nuances of how support and how the business is looking at it, how the customers are talking about it. And yeah. so
1: I, Absolutely. And I would take, the same learning and apply it to people. The moment mm. you make it a function in of itself, people just devolve responsibility to it. Yeah. So people and culture and customer support should be the responsibility of everyone. Cycling kind of your talent in throughout those functions is a great move that we should make. Uh, and really thinking about actually which we talked about earlier, what is the purpose of those functions in your organisation? Are you devolving those responsibilities out to them? And actually it should be part of the way an organisation operates.
0: Awesome. Great chatting with you, Penny. I can't stop. I don't want to stop you from being Prime Minister (laughs) in 10 minutes. And so I'm going to let you go, but really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it was really fun and um, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Wow. Thanks so much for coming on, Penny. I really enjoyed the chat. There was a really nice and comfortable moment where you called me out and said that I sent you a text about snake oil. Look, I'm going to be honest, I did, uh, and it's something that I've reflected on, and it's things that I'm trying to do now and change myself. And hopefully, by you know talking about this a little bit more, it, it starts people reflecting as well. You know, we've got to give better, better opportunities at space and oxygen and trust and love to these startup founders and I'm really glad that Penny joined Crimson. I'm really glad that she has, you know, helped the team grow. I'm really gl- glad for the whole team and what they're doing there and she just called me out on it. And so this is, you know, what I think public discourse should be, right? You know, say say your piece, be, you know, be really honorable and integral, integrity driven with it and give people the love and respect that they need. And so Penny, fantastic woman, fantastic human, you know, really has done some awesome things. And so I'm excited to see where the next two years goes in the next, next role and and on from there. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for watching us. Thanks so much to Icehouse Ventures, which is our Auckland home for the podcast. I'm really enjoying it here. Um, we are really starting to grow now. Like the numbers are really picking up in terms of who's watching and who's subscribing I just want to say thank you for those that are subscribing. I'd love it if you can leave a comment below. I'd love it if you can share and give us some feedback on what you're liking and what you're disliking. And, yeah, hopefully I'll see you next time. Thank you. This podcast is produced by John O'Tacker from Empire Films.